and I was all about getting last. But I felt a shift take place, which is really Romans 12 too, where instead of trying to get last from people, I felt like I was supposed to give them an opportunity to laugh. And this right here literally changed everything. I mean, it changed my demeanor on stage. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and today my co-host, Mark Tim, and I bring you something special. Imagine a top comedian out to inspire people. We have just that for you in Michael Jr. He's a world-class comedian who is not out to get laughs. He's out to give people the opportunity to laugh and help set the stage for meaningful, purposeful content of the heart and soul. His personal mission is to comedically inspire people to walk in purpose. He's accomplishing this in massive numbers while on stage with the tonight show and Jimmy Kimmel and comedy central and Oprah's super soul Sunday and TEDx talks. He will shortly be in a movie theater near you in a starring role for the feature film Selfie Dad. And here's a novelty. He's a top-ranked comedian who has no need or use for crude and vulgar jokes. Imagine that. You will hear in the show how he views all of us in living our lives are preparing and setting the stage. Why? For what? Well, it's for the punchline of our lives is what Michael Jr. says. The deliverable. Without that, it's simply a life of always preparing but never coming to the table with an offering. Nobody in the Ziegler audience desires this. So listen into this interview. We believe you will be significantly inspired and empowered to do just that. Deliver. Uh, you can connect with Michael at michaeljr.com. And folks, if you get value from today's show, please give us a thanks by leaving a review in iTunes. Today's show is brought to you in part by Grasshopper. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or even if you have a side gig, Grasshopper is the entrepreneur's phone system. Grasshopper lets you send and receive calls and texts from your new business phone number. That way you can run your business from anywhere and respond to clients quickly with Grasshopper's mobile apps. Be professional, responsive, and efficient with Grasshopper. Get your business phone number today. Go to Grasshopper dot com slash Ziggler to get $20 off your first month. Okay, folks, I hope you're ready. Here we come with Michael Jr. So Michael, you are a comedian yet. Here's what I read at the top of your Facebook page just days ago. This was uh, Lisa McCall's. It looks like she said, I've been struggling with making sure I'm accomplishing what God sent me here to do before I leave this place. And only God would use a comedy show like Michael Jr. Comedy to direct, convict, encourage, and inspire me. Thank you, God. Thank you, Michael Jr. for obeying God. And so I wonder, were you initially surprised that you could use this platform of comedy to deliver a message that has Zig dancing in heaven right now, I think? Uh, does it make, or did it make sense to you? Did you expect that? Uh, initially, I would say it was... Uh... First of all, I want to say thanks to my cousin for putting that post up. That was nice. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah, I remember when I first started flipping through my Facebook page. It was probably about seven or eight years ago. The comments started really going from, oh, you're so hilarious. We love you. You're, you're my favorite comedian. To I started seeing the word inspiring show up a lot more. And it was really because um, I just had a there was just a shift that took place where I realized like I'm making all these people laugh, but 
people always say laughter opens up your heart, but you know, if I'm not making a deposit, I'm just opening it up. Like, what am I doing? Like, so I just wanted to start making a bigger impact. So slowly, but surely I would start, um, really just being sensitive to an audience and saying, Hey, what do they, what do they need? As opposed to just laughs because they're showing up because they need something. They're, they're literally, the audiences are showing up because of what they think they want. But if I can reveal to them what they really need, then that's, that's a game changer for me. Well, that's, you just hit marketing one-on-one, which we talk about a lot here in, yeah, any business pursuit is we got to remember. And I, I've hurt some businesses where I went forward with my idealism and what people need. And yet we have to give them what they want. Initially, I mean, you talk about that in your shows. I mean, initially you think people come, why do they come to the show to begin with? Just out of the comedy aspect, what are they looking to, well, what do they want? Yeah, well, they're looking to laugh. They just want to break from whatever's going on. But that right there is an indicator that something's going on. So I'll get, like I, I did an event at, um, where was that place? Oh, in Montrose, Colorado. There's a video online of it yep. where uh, I went there and there was abuse. I was doing an event for abused children. And the only reason I was there is because I, I, of a great shift that took place in my life probably 11 years ago. I was performing outside of a comedy club. I was right about get, get on stage at a comedy club in Los Angeles. And right before I got on stage, I had a change in mindset about comedy, which is most of the time when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. And I was all about getting laughs. But I felt a shift take place, which is really Romans 12 too, where instead of trying to get laughs from people, I felt like I was supposed to give them an opportunity to laugh. And this right here literally changed everything. I mean, it changed my demeanor on stage. Because when you have a gift, your job is just to present the gift. It's really not even a matter about how do people respond to it. You're just supposed to present the gift. And it's measured not by how many, how much somebody likes it, but just how, how much you are willing to give it. So with that understanding, that same night, I left the comedy club. First of all, I got on stage and I was so much more relaxed mm-hmm. because there's no pressure. I'm not trying to take anything from you. But I leave the club that night and I... um there's people outside, they want autographs, we're taking pictures, but then I look across the street and I saw a homeless guy outside a club in Hermosa Beach, California. This is a really nice area. And I'd never seen a homeless guy in this area before. But that doesn't mean he wasn't there before. That just means before my mindset was to get last from people. But as soon as I changed it to give, I started seeing opportunities that I hadn't seen before. And that's what happens in the audience too. So the post that you just read on Facebook was probably just a result of one of those moments of really asking the question, what can I give to this audience on this stage tonight? So I was glad to hear, I'm glad to hear that, that uh, somebody uh, received something really good. Well, and I got to tell you, Michael, um, you know, I've been to one of your events. I've I've heard you speak live in person. I watched you interact with the crowd and I know that part of what you do, even in a larger environment, because you were up on stage, there's thousand people there. We were North of Indianapolis and, you you did some impromptu stuff where you you know you were you were calling some people out and what i watched happen is is that through the laughter you know people regardless of their circumstances sometimes they got these walls up or a force field up and and they know they want to be do and have more but they don't want to let anybody in and i watched you like make those force fields go away like the walls were coming down mm-hmm. through the laughter 
And then bam, like I didn't even see it coming. You, you just delivered this, this incredible, you know, inspiring, you know, message to this, this woman that you were talking to. And we all got something from it. And I think that's part of what's happening too. At least I saw it happen, which is the laughter lets people, you know, put their walls down so you can actually pour into their heart instead of keep it so guarded. Yes. I used to think the comedy was the destination. It's really just a vehicle. I mean, that's all it is. It's just a vehicle to get to the destination. So what are you going to do? So as a result of asking the question, um, what can I give? It opened up everything. And I even tell my audiences impromptu sometimes, I'll be like, you, you have to articulate what can you give. And if you don't articulate the answer to this question by default, you're asking, what can I get? Every, even when it comes to the comedy show, this, they're thinking, I hope this is funny. I hope I get my money's worth. I hope this happens. This better happen. But if you just make this shift. So there was a mechanic at my show, and I talked to him about this a lot, you know, in front of everybody. I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a mechanic. I was like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> he said, it means I get... He's like, it means I get paid to fix cars. And then we talked and went back and forth a little bit. And then we came up with a different definition of what he does, where he now says uh, he helps ensure that people reach their desired destinations. Mm-hmm. That right there will wow. put your alarm clock out of business. The other will cause yeah. you to hit the snooze. because. So, <laughs> so as a result of that, um, and I know there's a lot of people who come into the audience and they're hitting the snooze button, but they just don't realize it. So to, to, to fill that void of feeling like something's missing, they'll, they'll come to a comedy show, go to a football game, go to, and there's, there's nothing wrong with football, really. I'm a Detroit Lions fan, but that can't be, you can't be using it to, to medicate. It just needs to be uh, an, an addition to what you already have going on, to your purpose. Right. And, and, I love that. Yeah. And I want to dig into that. I mean, that's why we have you on here. It's the heart of your message, your skills, abilities, and talents. I don't want to miss, however, on a vocational and business front, which matters. I mean, hey, that's what puts food on the table. So I'm sure your family's grateful for that. But in show, when uh, we did recently, 479, we interviewed a guy named Christopher Lockhead. He was the author of a book called Play Bigger. And what he really focuses on from a you know business vocational standpoint is creating a new category creating a new category that fulfills that want that people have that want and that need. And it feels like that's what you've done here. You've created, and I don't know what you call it, but a new category of, I don't know, inspirational comedy. I mean, you're standalone in that from what I see. Yes. I love that, man. I mean, I don't know. You got to send me that dude's book. That sounds phenomenal. Uh, (laughs) I didn't articulate it that way, but yeah, I kind of stumbled upon this new category where I, I don't, when people come to my shows, I'm not trying to get anything from them. I am literally giving them an opportunity. I'm just, I just hope to open up their eyes a little bit. And that doesn't always mean that I'm a quote in scripture. In fact, I probably rarely even quote scripture on stage. In fact, I, I do a lot of corporate events and for some reason, AT&T don't want you to quote Bible verses. I don't know what that is about. Huh. But anyway, um, I use them as an example. They may not mind, but um, <laughs> I I just go up there literally constantly asking the question, what can I give? So for instance, um, if your listeners want to participate, this would be great. So here's what happens is I was doing a show in Phoenix, Arizona. This this was a turning point for me. I'm doing a show in Phoenix. There's about 3,500 people at the show. And before the show, there's a friend of mine in the green room and we're talking about this picture that we saw online. Now the picture is a really hard picture to look at. 
It's actually a picture of a of a uh, vulture and a little girl. I don't know if you know about this. This I picture saw or not, it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, have you have you seen it before? I saw the video. No. Yeah. Okay. So if your listeners want to go ahead and Google that, or I don't know how they would do it, but if you put in the word vulture, like the bird and little girl. So, but before you pull the picture up, you just get it ready. And then uh, anyway, so um, I, I'm looking at this picture and I'm talking to this guy backstage. It was a pastor friend of mine. And we're, we're going over the story and the picture is really hard to look at. It's literally this vulture and a little girl and the vulture, the little girl is trying to make it to a food bank, which isn't in the picture. And she's about to die. Like she's really weak. She's really like, she's on the ground pretty much naked and about to die. And then there's a vulture probably 20 feet behind her waiting on her to die so he can eat her. Oh no, this is a miserable, the, the picture is hard to look at. Um, and the photographer is in the obvious place. So we're back at stage. We're talking about this picture. Then I go out on stage and we start the comedy show. And on a scale of one to 10, we're probably laughing at, I would guess maybe a seven and a half, which is a really good show. So then, now, now when I do stand-up comedy, I'm on stage presenting, say, joke number one. But while I'm presenting joke number one, I'm also doing the math on what joke number two should be based off how you're currently responding to joke number one. Once I have that confirmed, I'll move on to joke number three and confirm that one, joke number four, joke number five, based off how you responded to the earlier jokes. So I'll do all of this math while I'm presenting the first joke. And sometimes I used to go as deep as seven jokes. But now that I and more sensitive to the audience's needs. I'm asking the question in between the gap, what do they need? These are jokes, but what can I give them in between these jokes? So I don't make it to seven anymore. I might go three, maybe four sometimes. But on this in particular show, I clearly hear hear, uh, God say to me, hey, show them the picture. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What picture? I'm, I'm doing jokes right now. This cannot be you guys saying, show me a picture. It sounds like you, but it ain't no way it's you because that picture is not funny. So I just move on to the next joke. And then I, five minutes later, so I hear, show them the picture. This is an audience of 3,500 people and we're laughing, having a good time. And I just, I showed them the picture. And obviously, if you're looking at the picture right now, the crowd went to, the, the, the laughter went to zero and no one's laughing. And I explained to them the story, how the, the little girl was trying to make it to a food bank and the photographer's under a tree. And he actually waited 20 minutes for the photographer, for the vulture to open up his wings because he thought that would be a better shot. And then after he took this picture, he went under a tree, he got on a plane and then he flew back to the States. He turns in the picture and wins the Pillister Prize. And people kept asking him, hey, whatever happened to the little girl? But he wins the greatest prize you can win as a photographer, uh, as far as I know. And then six months later, he commits suicide. Wow. And I explained to my audience there in Phoenix, I said, I believe had he been of the mindset to save the little girl, he himself might be alive right now. And I cannot tell you guys, I can't tell you what I said after that. But we went right back into comedy from laughing at probably a, a seven and a half to a zero to now a twelve. And it's not because the audience was insensitive. It's because I opened up my heart and showed them a little more of me. It's because I was sensitive to what they needed in that moment, even though they thought all they wanted was comedy. As a result of that, I actually got more out of that. So after the show, I got all of these people walking up to me and they're seeing great show like always, but it's different because their, their eyes, you could tell they've been crying. You could tell that they were more emotional. They were slower when they speak. Some of them, they weren't interested in autographs. They just wanted to connect. 
And then they started their own email list on my table. And they, and they said, we want to be a part of your cause. That's what one of the guys said. How can we be a part of your cause? Well, the issue was I wasn't even doing anything. Hmm. I just happened to show a picture. I was just being sensitive to what I felt like God was saying in that moment. And I showed this picture. And then we went deeper. And then we went right back to jokes. And people wanted to be a part of what I was doing. But I wasn't really doing anything at the time. And I never will get caught like that again because now I'm doing something. Now we're looking to make a difference as opposed to just not. Well, for those of you out there listening, uh, you know, I, I, I was able to pull up the vulture and little girl picture that, uh, that Michael's talking about and Michael, that's powerful. And if you haven't Mm -hmm. seen it, listening to what you just shared, do look it up, do get that, that visual image and, and man, man, I, all I can say, Michael is thanks for listening to, uh, uh, to your heart there. And, and mm-hmm. obviously, uh, obviously you haven't looked back since then you've been, you know, all systems go to, uh, to, to be open to whatever it is your heart's telling you to do on stage since then. Oh my God. And I, I want to, yeah, I want to ask about uh, just on that same note. And by the way, when you first said, did you ever seen that little girl with the, the vulture? I said, yes, I saw the video. There was a, a hoax of, of a little girl that got picked up by a hawk and dropped in a park and it was funny and it was, oh. it was a hoax. It was not what yeah. you're talking about here, which by the way, folks, yeah, if you go and type <laughs> in little girl and a vulture on Snopes, which is, you know, where it tells us things are true or not. Yeah. It tells a story just as, as Michael shared it. That's dramatic. I, I will show my kids and talk about this. Well, but on, on that note wow. of showing your heart, you have a video on YouTube titled delivery room that I saw over 4 million views there. But then I looked at it on Facebook. It has another 2 million uh, views. So folks, I would ask you go there now, My, Michael uh, Jr. Jr. And type in delivery room. You'll find it. There was zero comedy in that about a two and a half minute uh, clip. <laughs> yet it looks like it's one of the most videos uh, watched ever of something you put on. You've got tons of them with hundreds of thousands, but that one, there was no, there was no comedy. I just wonder how that, did that take you back a little bit? It, it really did. The video, and it kind of speaks for itself. So uh, one of the video, the same video, it's been uploaded a couple of times. It actually got up to like 10 million views. And I was blown away because it's a video of my, my youngest daughter uh, in, the, in the delivery room. Like she's two and a half minutes old. And uh, I took this video as a father, but I hadn't, I didn't watch it. When I, when I watched the video, I saw it from a completely different perspective and it just really blew me away. So I just felt like I had to share it. So we shared it and people just really, really, really enjoyed it a lot. And I won't go into the details of it because that'll have your listeners a little more under, uh, curious and then they have to go figure it out for themselves. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, we want you, you know, we, we want everybody to, uh, to dive in and experience you and what you're doing because, uh, quite frankly, um, we're only, you know, a little bit into this and, uh, I want to be part of your movement. And, yeah. you know, one of the things mm. that, uh, that I also really respect, Michael, is that uh, you have a reputation for being a clean comedian. Now, I don't know how you, you know, I'm sure people have come to you with that before, but that can't be easy as well. Or at least maybe it wasn't easy in the beginning. And now it just sounds like who you are, you know, but that's, that's kind of rare in and of itself as well. So uh, do you ever sense mm-hmm. or, or did people tell you, man, you can't do that, you know, or how does that position in the world of, of comedy today? Yeah, you know, people would, uh, it's funny because before I was uh, like at 14 years old, uh, me and a friend made a deal that we wouldn't curse anymore. Mm. 
I wasn't like a Christian or wasn't didn't know anything about God or any of that stuff. We just made a deal that we would to we would stop cursing in order to expand our vocabulary. And the deal was, if he heard me curse, he could hit me in the chest hard as he wanted to, and vice versa. <laughs> so it started out pretty elementary. Then for me, it just kind of it kind of stuck. So when I started doing comedy, it was already it was already clean comedy, meaning there wasn't any language. Wow. And then after having uh, kids, I just and still not being a Christian or being a Bible person or whatever. I uh, after having kids, I told my kids, I said, "Listen, anything I ever say on stage, you can repeat it." So it created wow. a, a a built-in a built-in accountability there because I want my kids to be a part of whatever I'm doing. I want them to come and be able to enjoy it as well. And it was funny whenever I go to a club. It used to be the case. It's not the case anymore. But whenever I would go to a comedy club, they would always put me up first. When if the club didn't know who I was back then, they would put me up first because they knew my comedy was clean. And then they would have the dirty comedians going second. And then one day I was like, "Why?" I mean, I'm sorry. They would put me. Yeah, they would always have me go up first because they felt like um, clean couldn't follow dirty. But the issue that would happen was I would go on stage and do my clean set and dirty couldn't follow clean. Whoa. So it was actually, exactly. It was actually better for them if, if they put the dirty stuff up first and then let me go up because the audience is, it's, it's kind of like once you show somebody some, I mean, if all they're drinking is dirty water, it's delicious. Yeah. But if you show them some clean water, suddenly they're like, wait a minute, this water is dirty. What is this stuff floating around in my water? So it was it was fun to watch that dynamic change. And again, the, the comedy has to be funny. It can't be clean. You're juggling Bibles. You got a puppet. So that's not going to work. <laughs> but it has to be like, I remember one couple coming up to me at a comedy show and the lady, uh, I think they want an autograph or something. And the lady said to me, I appreciate the fact that you didn't use any foul language. And then the husband said, yes, he did. And she was like, no, he didn't. And they literally argued for like 45 seconds in front of me. <laughs> like I wasn't there. And I was like, hey, I'm right here. I can hear you. He was like, did you use any language? I was like, no, I don't. Oh, and another huge compliment I got. It didn't come in the form of a compliment, really. But uh, first time I met Chris Rock was at the comedy store in Los Angeles. And he came back and he, he complimented my set because he saw me go on stage. He said, I hadn't seen you before. Really funny set, man. You got some funny, funny comedy. And then we're talking, and then probably 10 minutes into our conversation, he gives, he has this look on his face, and he says, wait a minute, you didn't curse, did you? Like, that was huge for me. Wow. Because he complimented my set without even recognizing that those words weren't weren't in there. So so being clean is is a big, you know. Plus, I take showers, so I'm gotta be clean all day. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure your wife is grateful for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, it just speaks of your true skill. Uh, there was I, I grew up watching Saturday Night Live, and it's something that I don't watch these days. And my, I wouldn't do a whole lot of comedy in our home as far as watching stuff because there's so little that doesn't base itself. It feels like on just just being crass. Uh, and to what you said about, you know, being clean up there. I mean, it makes me think, Mark, you know, the story. Well, that Zig was told early on in his career that he should never talk about God or faith from the yep. stage. And of course he did not, uh, he did not uh, abide by that. <laughs> and it, it didn't do him too. Yeah, he, he was told, I mean, he was told by some of the biggest, you know, names in the business, pulled him off to the side and said, Hey, look, you know, if you want to get any corporate gigs, you got to knock the God stuff out. Like you got to, you got to pull that out of your, you know, speech. You just can't do that anymore. And there was an article that came out last week, even on this, 
And it was basically how Zig Ziglar became Zig Ziglar by being okay by offending people because he was actually not intending to offend anybody. He just wanted to be authentic. And so regardless wow. of your race, creed, color, belief, he basically was the authentic him and the authentic him had a relationship with God. So he shared that. And because of his, you know, authentic him, you know, they didn't matter what they believed. They were drawn to him because they could tell he was being real and authentic. And the people who were hiding and saying, I'm not going to talk about that because I, I won't get a corporate gig. They weren't being authentic and they didn't become Zig Ziglar. He became Zig Ziglar. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. That is brilliant. I love that. Wow. That's what I'm talking about right there. Well, it speaks to what you do, Michael. I think he was there to, to give. Folks, I know you are getting a lot out of this talk with Michael Jr. We next dive into his TED Talk, which is just flat out profound. Do yourself a favor, type Michael Jr. into your search engine and go listen, laugh, and be inspired. And get more of all he's doing at michaeljr.com. Before we resume, got two great offerings for you. iFit. In our world today, it is impossible to ensure that you're getting all the needed nutrients into your body for great health. iFit Nourish is a customized protein drink that's packed with all the essential nutrients you need. iFit Nourish is unlike any other nutritional shake. It allows you to personalize your mix while delivering the highest quality of fruits, veggies, and protein plus 25 essential vitamins and minerals. I got mine recently, put in my personal stats, what type of exercise I do, what I want to achieve, whether it's muscle gain or weight loss or, or whatever. And they made my perfect formulation. I fit nourish, nourish is passionate and picky about their ingredients. So there's no artificial flavors, no added colors, no preservatives, no filters ever, which is an absolute must for anything I'm going to take. I fit nourish. They focus on the basics of human nutrition. So every single ingredient in your formula is included for a reason and backed with extensive research. I can vouch that it tastes great. It mixes easily. I am into a place right now of not eating breakfast, having one of these shakes for lunch, then enjoying a nice dinner. So here's the offer for Ziggler listeners. Go to ifitnourish.com slash Ziggler for a free 14 serving bag of iFit Nourish Mix and a shaker bottle. Hassle-free, very convenient. So that is, again, ifitnourish.com slash Ziggler to create your unique mix today. Well, next, Ziggler On Demand. As you are listening to this podcast, we can assume you've heard about Zig Ziggler talking about Automobile University, uh, which is basically spending your on-the-go time expanding your education and knowledge. Uh, if you value the teaching of Zig and would like to have at your fingertips for any and every time you get a chance to lis listen to his material, then go to Ziggler On Demand. It's a membership site that allows you instant access to his life-changing programs on personal development, sales, family success, including how to stay motivated, secrets of closing the sale. That was Seth Godin's favorite. Strategies for success, closes, 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 courtship after marriage, raising positive kids, and more for Less than the cost of your Netflix subscription, you can have access to these resources that will change your life. As a special offer and for a limited time, when you do this, you can claim a free download of Zig's classic audio program, Biscuits, Fleas, and Pump Handles, which later became his best-selling book, See You at the Top. So just visit ZigglerShow.com slash Z-O-D. Again, ZigglerShow.com slash Z-O-D. 
All right, friends, now we go back to Michael Jr. Just as you talk about that, that switch that happened to you, he was there to truly give and people knew that he cared, you know, in talking about this, um, I want to, I want to mention your Ted talk here. I, I know that you, I think I heard you've, you got five kids, right, Michael? Uh-huh. Uh, okay. So Mark's got six. I got nine. So we got a bunch of kids amongst, <laughs> amongst us guys. We are, we are, we are so very nine, covered. Nine what? I'm sorry. You got nine what? Kids. We, kids. I got six nine. kids. Kevin's got nine kids. You got six. Yeah. <laughs> nine. I don't. What, what in the world? I'm normally the. I'm normally that guy. This, yeah, I, I don't like. Being on we have some virility on the show. Wow. Uh, so uh, there, my kids are going to be watching your TED talk this week. Uh, I got immense joy, wow. laughter, and and conviction out of your TED talk. And uh, yeah, I, yeah. Speaking of books, I, I want I want the book. You know, be the punchline. I mean, it's brilliant. Um, it's inspirational. Ooh. It's a personal development masterpiece. And, and so I want to dig into some of the gold. You said that in comedy, the outcome is to give people revelation, fulfillment, and joy expressed through laughter. And I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. personal development overall. And I'm thinking about the Bible uh, and, and thinking, is there any goal that any of us would want as parents, as leaders, more than that? Giving people revelation, fulfillment, and and joy. I mean, I just I think you just covered us yeah. all, didn't you? Yes, because here here's the thing. So so for those who don't know what I talk about, it started out with just me picking comedy apart. How comedy works. First, there's a setup, then there's a punchline. The setup is when a comedian will use his talents and resources to seize any opportunity to ensure that you, the audience, are moving in the same direction. The punchline occurs when he changes that direction in a way you're not expecting, and the results are actually revelation, fulfillment, and joy. But what I've learned that his life is the same way, um, the, uh, is for, at least from a comedian's perspective. So in life, there's a setup. Uh, your setup is your talents, your resources, and your opportunities. And most of the time, we use our setup to ensure that the people around us are moving in a direction that serves us, which means the punchline occurs when you change that direction in a way they're not expecting. Meaning that's what, that's what Zig did. Like he was actually talking about the whole him. He was talking about the Bible. I mean, he was talking about the Bible. If it was in him, he was talking about, it. he just wanted to help people. So when you change that direction, a way they're not expecting, you actually are using your setup for other people. The results are the same yet multiplied. It's revelation, fulfillment, and joy, but it's not just for the one who's receiving a punchline. It's also for the person who's given the punchline as well. So, and then I go as far as telling people, everyone has a setup. Your setup is is the fact that you have a car, a house, you're educated, you, um, you're married. Your setup is about what you receive, but your punchline is about what you're called to deliver. And if you know your setup, and most people do, but you don't know your punchline, you'll make the mistake. Like you'll feel like there's something missing and you'll make a mistake of thinking what you need to feel fulfilled to fill that void is more setup. If I could just make more money. I could just get a car if I could just get more laughs, play bigger venues. But what you really need is to know what your punchline is. Your punchline is your purpose. But the way to deliver your punchline is by practicing giving, but not money. Money is only a small portion of your setup. And the best punchlines utilize the entire setup. Nothing is wasted. So we're actually creating a platform because I'm so passionate about people understanding their purpose. We've developed a platform called Be The Punchline. Mm -hmm. And on this platform, 
people go there. It's a, it's a website, uh, be the punchline. You sign up. And if we've toured in your community, we've gone ahead and found organizations where you can show up and be the punchline. You can't give money, but you can be the punchline. So there may be a, a, a single mom who has horrible plumbing in her house and can't get it fixed. And you're a plumber. Well, instead of us giving her some money to get her plumbing fixed, we're going right to the plumber. Like the plumber is probably a punchliner and he's going to sign up to be the punchline. So we're uh, next year. No, I haven't announced this anywhere publicly yet, but I guess I am now. Thank you. Next year in spring, we're doing, we're doing a tour called more than funny. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going from city to city doing comedy, but we're also going to be signing up people to be punchliners. A punchliner is a person who looks for the opportunity to give from their setup. Meaning if you're a plumber, if you're a teacher, if you're like, we'll have opportunities on this platform for you to be the punchline right where you are. And uh, so we really, we don't just want to get people to laugh. We want to change communities for the good. So we're going from city to city. We're going to identify who the punchliners are. Like we found a guy in Dallas, Fort Worth, who goes into woods and finds homeless people who are living in the woods. He takes them water and food and helps them get on their feet and get housing. Well, I did a, I, I went with him in the woods and we videotaped it and we shared that story. We're gonna, we shared that story with the people in Dallas. It was 4,000 people at this event and they signed up to be the punchline. 45 days later, actually October 22nd, we're going to go fix up 150 low income homes in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Wow. So we're looking to activate punchliners all over the country. So if people want more information about that, they can go to beatapunchline.com. Just the fact that you said that reminded me, I mean, it was like, wow, we are really on the same page. So Yeah, well, listen, I, I went, I, I'm in there right now. Yeah, me I too. love what you're doing. And I want to encourage anybody to just check it out. Just see if you're ready to be the punchline. And if you are, you now have a place to go and a cause to get behind. And man, I love what you're doing, Michael. Absolutely. Speaking of that, you're in, you're in Dallas. We got to, we'll do this after, after we finish here, we got to hook you up with big Tom Ziegler. They're right there in Dallas, Ziegler headquarters. And, uh, yep. Uh, really? Oh yeah. This would be something they would love, be honored to be involved in. Yeah. Be the punchline. So I'm there right now. Yeah. There's, there's more, there's more we got to do together. It's so amazing. You know, we started off this whole show saying that, uh, Zig Ziglar's dancing in heaven. And that may have sounded, you know, a little bit odd to, to you, Michael Jr. But, uh, I can assure you right now he is dancing in heaven without a doubt. You are, Mm -hmm. you are walking the talk. Uh, and you are making a difference in people's lives and you're doing it because it's just the right thing to do. The laughter is just the byproduct. That's, that's so cool. Absolutely. Man, we're so on the same page. I, I'm getting tingly thinking about this. Not in <laughs> yeah, way. No. I don't have to use a bathroom. All right. Bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll ad lib in the meantime. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk on what you just talked, what you, you talked about as far as comedy, the setup and the punchline and that, that punchline being our purpose. And if we don't have that, our propensity to go back and just do more setup and more setup. And I know you also said that that's an uncomfortable place to live. Where do you give us, give us your perspective on the pulse of where we are culturally right now? Do you see that that's something, are we doing more setup Are people pursuing their punchline more or where do you feel like you're speaking to? Where's the burden and passion for your own purpose in that? Yeah. So every time I see, uh, someone who is, uh, 
overindulging in anything, whether uh, like I, I, I really like sports a lot. But when you see someone at a game who is crying because their team has, are, are they're losing, they just they're, they're, they 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 made their team part of their they, they made their team's winning part of their setup. Mm-hmm. Meaning meaning that helps them feel fulfilled. But that I mean, there's going to be another season like that. That season is about to be over. That can't be what you're about. I mean, it's cool entertainment, but it can't be your thing. Like, people are running to be entertained, and it's really just a, it's really just a pacifier for what's really, really missing. Because if you, so for instance, I love when I, when organizations get together and they um, they like fix an old school or paint a fence or something. That's cool. They all got on the same T-shirts. We all been a part of that before. You're painting a fence at the community center. Well. In that circle of people is a, let's say, an attorney and a web design guy. But that same community center is about to go bankrupt because their paperwork's not right. Mm. And their website is built on Flash and they have an AOL address. So, But if you take that same web guy who, who, who is in that circle and you give him the opportunity to build that website for that community center, he's going to build the best website he probably ever has. And he's not trying to get paid for because now it's – you've, you've – you allowed him to take his setup and beat a punchline, like, like apply that versus painting the fence because he's not really doing that great a job at. Now there is a, a fence painter out there who will do a much better job. It's just a matter of connecting those people. And when they don't have that, they just gravitate toward money. Well, I need to pay more fences so I can get more money. But we really just need to know that purpose, and it shows up all over. I mean, every time I turn on the news, it's, I mean, the Bible even says, "My people perish for lack of." understanding for lack of purpose so um every time anytime i see the news i can see what that it's an effect of um people not knowing their purpose and a lot of times it's because of someone's father not understanding what it means to be a father okay that so i'm i'm putting the pieces together here you're so coming back to your premise your epiphany of Mm -hmm. instead of getting a laugh you're going to give people the opportunity to laugh. So what I'm hearing from what you just talked about here, what you just showcased is that you are, uh, you are allowing people, you're giving people the opportunity to be the punchline. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, yes. and in that, I want to ask a question with people doing more and more setup in, in a sense, I hear you saying it's all, it's almost maybe that's the medication for not knowing their punchline. And so here you are giving us an opportunity to be a punchline. It's tremendous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So on the website division and the, the beat a punchline right now isn't full. Like we just put it out there to get things going and flowing and seeing what the people want it. But the vision, and I'm going to give you guys some information that we really don't like. So, so here's the thing I'm called to comedically inspire people to walk in purpose. Mm. So you'll never see that on a billboard because nobody's going to show up to that show. They're going to show up to the comedy show, which is great. I want them to show up to the comedy show. But my calling is really to comedically inspire people to walk on purpose. So on the punchline platform, yes, we want people to show up and upload their setup so they can beat a punchline. And oh, as a side note, uh, when I was a kid, I used to struggle with my reading. And now as a result of that, those struggles, I look at the world differently, which is where I pull my comedy from. So your setbacks are part of your setup so you can deliver the punchline you're called to deliver. So a lot of times you can look at even the things that have hurt you in the past and it's really preparation. Like God didn't cause it, but he'll use it in preparation for what he has for you to do. So this punchline or platform that we're creating, yes, we want people to get involved, we want people to help other people, but that's not the end result. In order to help people understand their purpose, what you really have to do is turn their hearts 
from trying to get to being willing to give with something more than just money. Because if you write a check, it doesn't turn the heart the way it needs to be turned. But if they give of themselves, the heart turns. And at that point, you can start making a deposit of more and help them understand what their purpose is as you start to make that deposit. So on the platform, we're going to be making those sort of deposits at the same time while people will be laughing, helping other people, um, just communicating through forums. And uh, so we're excited about what the platform will look like. Ultimately, it's not there yet, but you can find opportunities to give. That'd be the punchline. We. We want to be a part of that, Michael. Uh, how can you, we, yep. we can go offline. How can Ziggler be a part of that one? But this is something that I want to continue. Mark, we, we can promote through this show um, because it is well, it could be I, more I in alignment. I feel, I, I so feel what you guys are saying. Listen, when you first mentioned, well, I can't remember which one of you guys mentioned the TED Talk, and then I have to start thinking about the punchline system. And then you said you, you – like the main, like you guys are like out of the Dallas area. We have, we must sit down so I can cast the whole vision for you guys. I just feel that like fully. Absolutely. Like I can't even explain. Absolutely, man. We've got so many people connected here with the show. Um, we, we can do a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more on there. We'll talk more. So for the folks listening though, you did talk about the reading and you just now mentioned that you, it makes you look at things a different way. And I don't know if you were being legit or, or literal with a number, but in the talk, you said you look at words seven different ways. And my first thought yes. was, what I want to know, what are those ways? Cause that's what you took into your comedy. Well, yeah, and my mind would just do this automatically. It wasn't like I was really strategic about it. So I would look at the font size, the color of a word, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind it, how people are responding to it, um, where it's located. With like, I would look at all of those things to try to determine what a word was because I couldn't sound the word out phonetically. Mm-hmm. It just never worked. And I didn't want my friends to know that I was struggling with my reading. So my mind just scrambled and came up with this. So now, uh, by the time I got to high school, I was so good at this people didn't know I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out really, really fast. But now as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and now people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. And it's like, it's, it's one of the primary places I pull my comedy from. So that's why I say your setbacks are part of your set up so you can deliver the punchline you're called to deliver. I mean, let's look around for a minute. So think about, uh, the guy who does America's Most Wanted. What's his name? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? I know the show. The, the I don't TV know show. Um, yeah. I know the TV Adam. show, but I don't. I don't remember his name. His name is Adam, or or whatever his name is. So his son got kidnapped and murdered. Like a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. But as a result of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. he went. He he went out to try. Like there was no system in place to find the guy who killed his son. Like there wasn't. So he helped create the system, and then he did the show. And as a result of that, thousands of thousands of criminals have been locked up. But it started because of his setup. And now he's being a punchline. An Amber Alert. Do you know, do you guys know what an Amber oh, Alert yeah, is? Oh, yeah, I get Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but what you may not know is Amber Alert came from a mom whose daughter was kidnapped. And her name was Amber. And there was no way to get the word out to people that she had just gotten kidnapped. So she went, in the, so, so she lobbied and worked hard. And now she has Amber Alerts all over the country. So when a child is kidnapped, we can know about it immediately and people can respond. And by the way, as a side note, anytime I get a text or I see an Amber Alert, I always take a look around me. And I think everyone should. Don't look at it as a as as an annoyance. Like that's a call to action. You should look at the text. You should look and then you should if you don't see the person, if you don't see the car, pray. 
Like that's actually a warning sign that maybe we need to pray. It's like Christians should be uh, second responders. That was a first response. Your second response should be to pray. As a side note. Anyway, uh, her setbacks were part of her setup. I mean, so now as a result, she's being a punchline. There's a lot of kids being saved because of Amber Alerts and probably even more not being kidnapped because the kidnapper doesn't know what to do, how to get around Amber Alert. But she's being a punchline. It just came from her setback. But you're set up as part of your punchline, too. So it's a matter of looking at the whole story. So, And so you're, I mean, you're talking here, I mean, going to this thing, our stories, uh, being our setup. And so you're showcasing these stories here, people whose setup became their, their glory, their purpose, their punchline. And in one mm-hmm. of the talks that you did, you were talking about this tangent and you said, you've been practicing and it's game time. And I was inserted in the talk and I think you went on to some, you know, comedic relief from there. Uh, and, and I thought, I, I want to know more about that. The impetus that you stood on stage in front of thousands of people and said, you, you've been practicing and it's game time. Where's the angst for that coming from? So what, what so what I mean by that is uh, like your setback. So I mentioned, uh, like I said on stage one time, it was kind of a harsh, I've said this before. I said, uh, I said this a couple of times, actually. I said, so when I was struggling with my reading, it was almost as if, um, like God didn't cause me struggling my reading, but he would use it in preparation for what he had me to do. It's almost as if I was practicing, even though I didn't know I was practicing. So now, uh, now it's game time. I've been practicing. So now it's, it opportunities show up where I have to think really, really fast on my feet and come up with something like what you saw on stage or, or one time when I did, a the first time I met, um, I was able to do the tonight show, um, was a result of that. So a lot of people are practicing stuff. Maybe, and I've said this on stage before, maybe you never met your dad before. Your parents were divorced. You were molested as a child. God didn't cause it, but he'll use it in preparation for what he has for you to do. Meaning maybe someone else needs to hear your story so they can be set free and you can too. It's as if you've been practicing. But when I, when I say game time, no, game time means it, now it's time to show up. Like you have to do it. You can't murmur and complain. There is a time of mourning and, and discomfort, but then you have to get up and say, okay, I'm stronger than I was before. So now what do I do? The key to understanding game time though, is you have to hear the coach's voice because if you don't hear his voice, you you just won't make the right call. You just won't know what to do once the, the buzzer goes off. So it's really about a lot of the stuff we do is preparation for the big game and the game is life. But the preparation sometimes is is really a part of life too. So um, there it is. Did that make sense? I guess maybe. Yeah, uh, made perfect sense. That was awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. And so on this, as people listen to this, I mean, I I literally last night I'm thinking through this and I'm thinking, geez, okay, I'm I feel like I know my purpose and or know a lot of my purpose, my talents, my skills, my gifts, but to sit back. Well, so here's the question. I guess I kind of sit back and go, holy smokes, what's the punchline of Kevin Miller's life? That feels really weighty. Mm. And I'm sure we could take that. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we, want, we want to all be in that. But when you're talking about, you're also talking about just some some of the, the basic skills, talents, maybe some of the roles. So so when you look about punchline, maybe there's an overall, but there's also going to be subsets, you know, the roles, the skills that you have that are, are punchlines mm-hmm. of your mm-hmm. life. Is that true? Yeah, none of it gets wasted. So, for example, I was on an airplane with uh, with a guy. We're sitting in first class. Dude's doing pretty well. And I uh, I asked him what he did. He said he owns a company where they do uh, 
not telemarketing, but uh, uh, technical support or something. And I said, uh, I said, wow, that's cool, man. So I, I'm imagining you've been in business for a while. You seem to be doing pretty well. You probably, your business probably has a pretty good um, bottom line. He was like, yeah, we're doing pretty well. I said, yeah, all businesses have a bottom line, but let me ask you this. What is your punchline? Mm. And of course, he was intrigued. And I explained to him the whole setup punchline thing. Right. I said, because your, your setup is the fact that you had this business and you got all this stuff going and you have a good bottom line for your business. But most businesses have a bottom line, but very few have a punchline. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, so a punchline would be something that you're doing that doesn't have anything to do with money. It's just about helping other people. And then he said, well, what do you mean? Like to give money to people? I was like, no, 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 no. I said, so for instance, I said, you have a company where people do telephone services, technical support. He said, yeah. I said, so do you train the people? He said, yeah, we train them. I said, can they ever work from home? He said, well, if they do a really good job and one of our top, top people, we, we could let them work from home. We could let them work from home. I said, okay, so what if your punchline, and I'm making this thing up as I'm talking to him. I said, what if he lived in Minnesota? I said, what if your punchline was to this year find 10 uh, special needs people who can't necessarily leave home easily and to employ them, meaning now they can work from home and, and, and have an income for, from your business? What if your goal was that? Like that could be your punchline. It doesn't change your bottom line. They still need to be good workers, but you, your bottom line would still be there. It could even help your bottom line, but this could be your punchline. I said, so for example, your punchline is to help those 10 people be employed. And he just sat there and looked at me like, wow. And then he showed up at my show that night. I invited him to the show. He comes to the comedy show. I go over, set up punchline stuff with him in the talk. And he's just sitting there with his eyes glistening, like teared up. And then at the end of the show, standing ovation, and that dude is missing. Like, I don't see him anymore. And he sends me a text with all caps. He says, I get it. Now, to this day, I don't know what he did or what adjustments he made or whatever the case is, but all you have to do is look. Because if you look at your setup and your setbacks, you'll know you'll have some indication of what your punchline is. And I'm talking about the big punchline, the purpose. But if you don't, the key is to simply give from your setup. Because once you start giving from your setup, it's only a matter of time before you start making the connections on what it is you love to do and what it is you can do. And that right there is purpose. Michael, I'm, I'm online looking for your book, Be the Punchline. What, what's yeah, going on here? What's going yeah, on, man? Let's get this done. I mean, we, you know how many books we could be selling right now? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'd, I be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be on Amazon right now buying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me say this though. I do, I do have a book called the parts we play, which teaches kids the importance of playing their part, which isn't the punchline message, but it's a great book to teach kids the importance of working together. So that's on michaeljr.com. So if you want, so for the little kids is there and I am in the midst of working on a book. In fact, next Friday is the first time we sit down uh, the fourth or whatever. This is the first time we'll sit down to start turning some pages on the. Book. Right, well, you got uh, so, you got your first buyer right here, so I'll I'll purchase uh, in front of everybody right here the first copy of uh, Be the Punchline, and uh, it'll be required cool. reading for my family. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll have, awesome. And we'll have you back on the it. show. So I would normally be, I would refrain from interrupting the flow, but since that's what you do constantly and all your uh, routines, I'm going to do it. So right yeah. now, uh, all right, comedy break, most recent joke you wrote. Ooh, you know what? I just wrote a great one. Too. Uh, 
What was that joke? Oh, right so I have this uh, app that I use where I put all my jokes at. Oh, so it's a true story, right? Yeah. When I was a kid, um, and this isn't even this hasn't even been on stage yet. Actually, I tested this <laughs> one time. You're on stage right here. Uh, but like this is brand new. So when I was a kid, it's a true story. I'm like 11 years old, and I grew up kind of in a, a neighborhood that wasn't the easiest to live in. But it's, anyway, so we found a dog. We found a puppy, this cute little puppy, and we named the puppy Money. We really loved the dog. But then uh, this guy named Mr. Clark, a man, a, a older man in our neighborhood, he offered to buy the dog for like $50. So we sold the dog to him because that's like $50. Two days later, a sign goes up that says, lost dog, $50 reward. So we went and found that dog again. <laughs> and we, we turned him in for the reward. For real, four days later, I'm sorry, two days after that, Mr. Clark puts a sign up. Lost dog, reward for the dog. Um, I guess my point is, um, sometimes it takes money to make money. That's <laughs> literally what we had to so, <laughs> I like it. We it took that dog takes back, like, money we to took make dog money. Like three times. It's repurposing. <laughs> so that is literally a lesson. Like I literally just pulled that from my, my childhood and said, you know, I'm going to start telling that story on stage and just see what happens. So a lot of times the true stories need some extra uh, work where the stories you make up are hysterical from the gate. So this one I got to really kind of tweak and work out. I, so I like it. It could be a lesson in your corporate talk on residual income. Um, Boom. There, there it is. There you go. Mailbox money. There you go. Mailbox right. money. Well, so I'm going to ask, about, <laughs> I, I want to get to a point, but I'm going to ask you to help us get there. If you will cite the story of being in the green room as a rookie with Jay Leno, Gary Shandling, and a couple others at the Comedy and Magic uh, Club. Will you will you preface by telling us the story? Oh, yeah. Great, great, great. We've already kind of set it up a little bit. So I'm brand new in town in Los Angeles, and there's, there's a comedy club there called the Comedy and Magic Club. It is the best club in the country. It's the hardest club to get into, and I wasn't, I wasn't in the club yet. In fact, uh, the only way I got into the club physically was because of com another comedian who was well-known who saw me in New York. He knew I was in Los Angeles and he offered to take me. Now he couldn't get me on stage. He could only get me inside the club. This is how prestigious this club is. So I'm in the green room and in the green room are some soldiers in comedy. I'm brand new in town. There's, there's myself. I'm not in call, call myself a soldier, but there's George Wallace, Gary Shanley and Jay Leno. You don't understand. I am brand new. In town. I'm the greenest person. I'm so green. I look like a Smurf. Wait, were Smurfs green or blue? <laughs> Close I'm, enough. One of those on my, on my TV, they were green. Anyway, um, so, and at the time, they're working on a joke. A football player, some of you guys remember, a football player got hit in the eye with a flag, and he was suing the league for like $400 million. Now, all of these guys are in the green room talking to Jay Leno about this joke subject for his monologue for The Tonight Show. I'm not saying anything. I'm just happy to be in a room sharing french fries with these guys. And uh, they're all sitting there. They're working on a joke. Then they got quiet and they looked at me and I'm thinking to myself, Oh snap, this is like an opportunity. Like this is a huge opportunity at this time. I'm like, like this is an opportunity. So I was like, okay, let me see if I got this right. He got hit in the eye with a flag. He lost his vision in one eye and he suing a league for $400 million. I was like, um, he not going to see half of it. <laughs> 
and they explode in laughter, right? And and it was like the it was like the moment. So shortly after that, I'm on the Tonight Show, and I get to do it again. And Jay gives me an open door to the place. But the reason I was prepared for that moment, the reason I got that joke that fast under that much pressure, is because I've been practicing since I was a child in the form of a kid who was struggling with his reading. So was, even though I didn't know I was practicing, so there's probably people listening right now. You've been practicing and you didn't know you were practicing. But for a lot of you guys, it's it's game time because you're prepared. You just didn't know you were prepared, but you are. You just got to step out there and do that thing. It's it's probably bigger than you, and it looks really scary, but it but you can get it done with God's help. In fact, if it's not bigger than you, it's really not worth doing. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask about too. Is just I mean, your point on practice. You've been practicing this your whole life. You had put in the work. Uh, so I want to ask you, here's a, here's a quote that we got. This was uh, just five days ago. We interviewed bestselling author, Chris Guillebeau. It hasn't even posted yet, but he made a statement that I wrote down. He says, and he was citing again, some, some kind of a similar instance where he was, you know, he was on deck and he said, you know, we always think that we're going to rise to the level of our expectations, but under pressure, we fall to the level of our training. I thought, that's what that came to mind when I heard you talk about this, that you had been training, you had been kind of like the definition of luck when preparation meets opportunity. And I just felt like what a great charge for us to be taking our, our skills, our abilities and, and practicing them though. Again, you brought it back to your talking and you, you do put so much emphasis on those setbacks. It, it sounds like to a, to a degree you're saying even more so than practicing honing, that skill, talent, ability that you may have, you do put a lot of focus on the setbacks. And that's a hard topic, uh, Michael, especially for folks who had you know, pretty significant tragedies happen to them. I, Go ahead, Mark. I, I want to I yeah. jump in here and say what I heard Michael say earlier, and I, I kind of I jotted this note down, and it was, what if your setbacks are your superpower? And, you know, mm. and I don't think anybody looks at it that way. I don't think they think about it that way. They, they look at their setbacks as a 800 pound anchor they're dragging around. But what if your setbacks are your superpower? Because if you hadn't struggled reading, you wouldn't have wow. landed the one liner in the green room that in a way wow. your setback has become of reading has become your superpower in comedy. And, you know, wow. and, and I, I think, I think if we all, you know, could redefine, our setbacks as our superpowers, mm. where can we go? What can we do? That That is so good. I'm going to tell you what visual I got with that. So imagine there's a lady, she's on the ground laying down and she's crying, right? And uh, I show up with a joke and she just keeps crying. And then uh, the guy you just quoted shows up with another great quote. And she's still crying. But then another lady, these are all superheroes. I'm a superhero showing up with my jokes and yeah. she's still crying. And then Deion Sanders shows up with his ability to run really fast and she's still crying. But then a mom, a single mom shows up and whispers in her ear how she was molested when she was young. And then a the lady looks at her in the eye and stands up and takes her hand and they start walking together. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they communicate. And then she gets up off, she's off the ground now. She's on her feet because that's the superpower that she needed. She needs to hear from somebody else's setbacks that were similar to hers where I couldn't do anything, but you're right. Your setbacks are like a superpower because superpower, because yeah, that girl needed, the lady needed help. She needed a hero, 
but I wasn't in position. I wasn't the one, but somebody is, but they have to look at their setbacks as part of their setup so they can be the punchline for that lady or the women or whoever happens to be around you because they're already around you. They're just waiting for you to, to, to put on your cape. And in some cases, they need permission to to yeah. let that setback be their superpower. And oh. it, I, I, I hear in you, that's that's wow. some of what you're doing from the stage. I mean, you're you're giving people permission. People need permission for their setback to be their superpower. And mm. and, and you're doing that through your message. And you better get busy writing that book. <laughs> That is so awesome. Because, wow. man, I love that. Uh, you, this is some wow. good stuff. Wow. I love, love, love. Man, that's so cool. I love the way you guys think, man. This is so dope. <laughs> I am. We literally are going to start on a book next. Uh, All right. Mark will be your Michael, agent. I think he's on the four. He, he turns things into gold, so he, he'll take care of you. You know, you uh, you you, you get it. that book. We'll 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 accentuate. We'll we'll put some nitric oxide on that platform of yours. And uh, this <laughs> this is <laughs> the world doesn't know what's coming it. at them. Yep, absolutely. Wow. So so in in this, Michael. I mean, we you know personal development world. That's that's Ziegler. That's where 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 Mark and I are. That's in so in so much essence. You are as well. We know that people find the most service. Uh, most purpose from serving other people. Now you said your punchline is to comedically inspire people to walk in purpose. But what I'm hearing too through this is that your primary, it feels like, and you tell me, it feels like your primary bent on doing this is, well, you know what? It actually comes from the end of your TED talk. You said, can people change their perspective from what can I get for myself and change it to what can I give from myself. That transformation right there feels like, is that your uh, key ingredient? That's it. On, okay. okay. That's it. That is completely, compl- that's it right there. Instead of asking the question, which is our default question, what can I get for myself? We need to ask the question, what can I give from myself? That right there will change your life for the good. It just absolutely will. It just opens up everything because now you're looking for an opportunity to give and they're all around you. So if you, so if the lady is on the ground and she's crying and you don't know why, and you walk up to her and say, listen, all I can do is share with you my story. You're the superhero. You're asking, what can I give? And you found an opportunity as opposed to if you were just saying, what can I get? What can I get? You're looking around for something to collect and you happen to know, you might notice that there's a lady on the ground crying. But chances are you won't even see her. She's just in the way to where you're going. Mm -hmm. But you have to ask the question, what can I give from myself? And as a result of it, you're going to get so much. You're going to get this thing called fulfillment and purpose and and uh, and just joy will come as a result of that. You'll be lighter. I don't know if you're going to lose weight, but you'll literally be lighter. Love it. Ah, thank you. Thank you. You know what? I've got so much I I could ask you about, but that'll just give us reason to have you uh, back on the show. Folks, go to michaeljr.com to get uh, plugged in. But I do have one more question. So uh, as we talked about, we all got, we all got big families. Uh, Mark is, I mean, that is his, his key. He's CEO of Ziegler family. So we put a lot of focus and emphasis on there. And I wanted to take one other thing that you said, 
Because it's really in line with a, a Zig Ziglar quote where he talks about if you have integrity, you don't have to have to worry about anything uh, you do or you say. And you, in essence, shared that in one of your talks. You said you don't strive to be politically correct. Too much of a hassle. But you believe if you put the right stuff in your heart, the right stuff will come out. Love that. It's so in alignment with, with Zig's statement. And my, my pondering, though, is with you as a family guy, devoted dad, how do you moderate and, and lead your families? Five kids, we know they all want to be on media and they're, you know, if they're in school or whatever, they're exposed to a lot. How do you moderate their intake to help guide what is being placed in their hearts in order to nurture what's going to come out of their mouths and other places? Yeah. So one of the things we do is we, we, we're actually, we probably watch less TV. Like we probably average about per week, maybe 20 minutes of TV. Mm. And that's just not even all of us together, probably on, on average. But, uh, the other thing I do is if we do happen to see something, cause at this point, as you know, it's really hard to guard them completely yeah. from everything. So we try to use everything as a teacher as a, as a teachable moment. Meaning if we see something that's not right and then they happen to see it as well, we're not going to ignore it or say, Hey, cover your eyes. We're, we're just going to talk about it. We're going to be like, so why do you think that lady was wearing that outfit on the, on that thing? So what do you, what do you think is going on and what might be going on in her life just off the appearance? And then after we break that down, I say, well, how much of that is just you fully judging or how much of that is you feel like is really going on? And another thing we do is whenever something happens, like my kids know, when we see sirens or, or some lights up ahead, all of us, we know that we that's just a sign to pray. I mean, instead of being upset, oh, I'm going to be late, there's traffic, I can't believe there's an accident up front. If there's, a, if, if there's an accident up front, then we pray. Like, let's do something. Like, we're in this culture to actually take action. We don't have to be of the world, but since we're not of the world, let's Let's pray. Let's take action. And then let's learn from whatever we're seeing that we know doesn't line up with, with God's word and what we should be doing. So I just I try to pivot off of everything that happens. And then hopefully by default, my kids will start to do that as they'll do that as well, even when I'm not around. That That's really the vision. I love that. And I, I got to tell you something in the process, you're not just, you know, being a good dad, but you're teaching them how to be good friends, how to have good relationships, you know, how to look at things. Cause man, you're teaching them how to look at things from someone else's perspective. And it isn't that one of the keys to healthy relationships is being able to have that empathy. You know, it's as I get older, I've got fewer and fewer things and I want my kids to leave with when they leave the house. And, you know, when they were little, it was notebook pages. Now it's just a couple things and empathy is, man, that's one of those things. And so I love what you're doing. I know um, mm. we, we could keep going on here forever and, but we, we got to bring this to, you know, to a close. And I've been trying to think, what's that, what's that one thing that I really want, uh, you know, want to ask you is my final question here on this interview. And, and first thing I want to say is that, uh, as Kevin has said a couple of times, I want to, in front of our whole audience, in front of you, we, we don't have guests back for a second time very often at all, but you write that book. You've got an open invitation mm. to be back on here and share that book with our world because I really think that book's going to make a difference. It's 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 a game changer because you're looking at things from from such a different perspective and you're disrupting, you know, our our thinking by you being the punchline 
And, and that's what, uh, of your life, it, it makes me think, you know, in, in my kind of final thought is that you say in, in your talk about the punchline that if you've been, that you personally, Michael Jr. have been living your story your entire life. But it, if other people, if, if all they know is the setup, then, then mm. they're living in potentially a very uncomfortable place. There are people listening right now, Michael, that are, find themselves in an uncomfortable place. What would you tell them if they're listening to this and saying, man, this was a great show and I really like this guy. I'm going to buy his book and I'm going to check this out. I'm going to go look up this picture. But they they get home and they look in the mirror and they're in an uncomfortable place. What do you tell them? I tell them to uh, because that uncomfortableness is because they've been asking the question uh, by default, most likely, what can I get? Meaning even that in itself is kind of asking the question, what can I get? But if you could just shift it to what can I give? Literally, while you're looking in the mirror, say, what can I give? As soon as you say that, I'm telling you, as soon as you open up your mind and your heart to really, really, really want to answer that question, an opportunity is going to show up. Meaning I don't, your doorbell might literally ring while you're in the mirror. Like, like soon as I said, okay, how can I give somebody an opportunity to laugh? The next day, a lady in Oklahoma at an event said to me, you ever think about doing a show at a homeless shelter? I was like, what? I had never heard of such a thing before. That was a crazy, like, what? What you, huh? How is that possible? And I, I was thinking, how would you, and some of our comedian friends even said, dude, if you do a show at a homeless shelter, how are you going to get laughs? Well, what if they don't laugh? But that's just it. I'm not there to get laughs. I'm there to give them an opportunity to laugh. So now that opportunity is there. Now I can see it. And and then now look at it. There's homeless shelters all over. I would love to have a comedian. So the opportunities are already there. You just have to literally really ask yourself, what can I give? And I'm telling you, if you start to give from any place, don't even worry about your gifts and talents yet. Just start giving, ideally not money because money is too transferable. If you just start giving right from where you are, what you can from any part of your setup, and then, and then the next day you go to work and then you're giving some more. Then you go to work. I really believe it's only a matter of time before you figure out how to give from where you're working, how to give from your whole setup. And a lot of people are probably in the wrong job position right now, but they don't know where to go because their whole thing is how can I get this amount of money? But as soon as you make this shift, you, you're going to realize that it's more fulfilling to give. And then the money is going to show up like it's, it, it, it'll be there. So, um, one, one of my favorite, uh, Zig quotes, I'll, I'll say real quick is, uh, you don't have to be, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Like that is Zig, right? I'm just, am I making yeah. stuff up? Is that Martin Luther King? <laughs> that's okay. it, man. No, that's a, that, that's anyway. Zig. And, and he added a little so, twist and he's like, do it now. Start now. Yes. That's what I'm saying. So do that right now. Like literally when you get off this podcast, go in the mirror and say, what can I give? But here's the catch. You can't give money. It can't, it can't be money. It can't be financial Just say, what can I give? So, so, so if, if here's a hard question for people to answer. So when all of this stuff happened with the hurricane and all this stuff went down, if money lost its value and nobody was accepting it, what would you do to help those people? Uh, that's significant. Mm. 
That's you know, I, I, Michael, I wish, uh, I wish you had been able to meet Zig when he was alive. Mm-hmm. You, uh, mm-hmm. you, uh, you have more in common with him than what, uh, I think you, you can imagine. Uh, he used to mm-hmm. tell people mm-hmm. when they didn't, they didn't understand what a motivational speaker was. And he was trying to explain to them, you know, friends and family, how do you make a living doing that? You know, and, and he finally had to pare it down and say, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just an optometrist. And I just give people a new set of glasses to look at their life and look at the world through. And that new set of glasses changes everything. And that's the vision I got when you said, go to that mirror and don't ask, what can I get? Ask, what can I give? Michael, you're, you're an optometrist, just like Zig. You, people walk into your show and before your show's done, you give them a new pair of glasses and they never see the world the same again. And that's, that's powerful. So thank you optometrist that is brilliant my goodness I remember, i'm not saying it's brilliant as you said about me just that thought process is brilliant because if you think about it if you take it a step further they're showing up at the comedy show thinking that they know what prescription they need <laughs> that's right but perfect <laughs> they show up all i need is some laughs like, well, you, you know build what? that, build that out. Life. You'll actually, you'll actually be honoring uh, Zig's legacy to build that out into a whole routine and run with it because uh, the world needs uh, that message and they need to see gracious. that they can join you, you know, by being a punchline in their own life, that you're not the only one. Zig wasn't the only one and you're not the only one that could do this. You're just the only ones talking about it. Uh, Man, you guys are awesome. This is the, the Wow. I don't know if I had a better interview at all. Let me just stop right there. Like, this is phenomenal. You guys are really about helping people. I can tell by the, t- I, I could, you, you guys prepared well. You guys are really honoring Zig in a big way. Let me just say that. Uh, thank you. You're, you're helping us. We just bring the best to us. No, I got to admit, man, I'm still giggling at, uh, at what you said, Mark, your preface there was hey, Michael. I wish you could have met Zig when he was alive because I'm sitting there thinking yeah because meeting him here now uh, three years after he died would just be you know nasty <laughs> <laughs> I just love the camera a little ash a little ash a little bit uh huh uh huh alright there, there we go very fitting to we'll end, end the show on a right. little laughter right alright alright Michael man it's thank hilarious. thank you so much you have uh, the, 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 the tagline here is inspiring uh, my, our true performance you've inspired my true performance this weekend my family's going to be watching your ted talk uh, and some of your other stuff we're going to mm-hmm. sign up at be the punchline and then we're going to sit here and just patiently wait until you come tour in colorado springs so uh thank you I michael just bless you mightily thanks for your work thank you guys well friends that was just powerful again connect with michael and all he is doing at michaeljr.com And if you appreciated him, please let him know by leaving us a review in iTunes. You will bless him and the Ziggler team. Coming up next in show 511, we take you behind the scenes with Michael Jr. and get into his daily success habits. The habit that most stood out and uh, stuck with me is that his morning routine includes hitting his knees before he hits his feet to say thanks and give gratitude for his life. I think about that every morning now, and that's why we do these habit shows, folks, so that ideas like these from greats like Michael resonate and stick with us and change our lives. Hey, till then, thank you for walking with me as we inspire our true performance together.